Okay, that's it. I'm ready. I'm not ready. We'll talk about Akedas Yitzchak, which is a topic connected to Rosh Hashanah. Now everybody knows about Akedas Yitzchak, and uh, we've heard these stories again and again. Uh, so I figure that we might as well repeat, since uh, people learn best when they're learning something they know already, and they uh, so we take advantage. Just the first pasuk in Akedat Yitzchak. The word Nisa is usually translated as to test. Right? Some kind of a test. The word test is a difficult word. It's a difficult word, I mean, in English. I mean, it's uh, difficult to know what exactly we mean. Or I mean, like, there's a test. Uh, we take a test and people ask questions and give answers. That's a test. Uh, there's a test of strength or a test of uh, something else of that kind. It's all tests. What sort of test might we be talking about? Uh, maybe that's the end of the Pasuk. So let's see the test. Let's see Rashi. What Rashi says about all of this. You know, the first... Uh, uh, the, the beginning of the Rashi is about the first part of the Pasuk. The first part of the Pasuk says, Achar Hadvarim It's always true that those little simple words cause the biggest problem. Biggest, and the words that you understand are always the most problematic. And the words that you don't understand are easy. All you have to do is look them up in the dictionary. And then you find out what they mean. But these little words that are called adverbs or prepositions, I don't know if anybody remembers these kinds of things from the time they were children, when teachers punished the students by making them repeat words like that. Because, you know, the teachers are always nervous about what they're doing, so they have to gain the upper hand by, by making believe there's some secret vocabulary that you have to know in order to really understand something. But at the end, you don't understand anything, you don't know the vocabulary, so it's like uh, people wonder why nobody learns anything. So, Yeshmi Rabotei Rashi, Rabbi says this, Yeshmi Rabotei Omrim Dvarav Shal Satan. So Rashi points to the fact that we don't know what Achar Advarim is. After what Dvarim? Dvarim, let's assume Dvarim are speech, words, words that are told Achar Advarim What Dvarim Ha'ele? Yesh mi Rabotainu Rashi Omrim Achar Advarim Satan. Oh good, so of course there's a Satan who's in the middle of the conversation here. Now that doesn't bother Chazal and that doesn't bother Rashi and shouldn't bother us either because we could always say instead of the word Satan some kind of an inner voice right, which is like a popular thing to say in our time that we go around that we have inner voices that tell us things about ourselves and what is going on. So Rashi says, Achad Satan. What did the Satan say? 
So what, what were the Dvarim of the Satan? The Satan found cause to say nasty things about Abraham Avinu. Because Udash as Abraham, you know that Avraham Avinu made a few parties in his life. When Yitzchak was starting to grow, he was happy, he made a party. So, well, but he didn't bring the sacrifice. Now, this is true. I mean, as you remember, but if you remember the parish of Lech Lecha, go through the whole parish of Lech Lecha now, in your minds, you're going through it, like in the computer, you know, you just hit Lech Lecha. There are people who actually can do that. Well, in Lech Lecha, Adam Ravina goes from here to there to there, and every place he comes to, he seems to build an altar. But he never gives a sacrifice. Never. So, the Satan, now the Satan, of course, in this case is us. We read about Adam Avinu and we say, how could this be? Adam Arishon gave a sacrifice and Noah gave a sacrifice and Kain the Hevel brought sacrifices. How come Adam Avinu didn't bring a sacrifice? Okay. I don't know. But it bothers me. <laughs> like it's annoying. So according to Rashi, according to the according to Chazal, the Satan, which is that nasty voice inside of me, kept saying, because so is a great guy, but he never gave anything back to Kurishbok. He never separated his Maaser. He never gave a gift to God which is something that everybody before Avram Avinu understood was part of the deal. Amalo, says to the Satan, you know that everything Avram Avinu did was in order that he could have a son. His whole life was based on this premise that in order to be Avram Avinu, he had to have a son to teach, to train, to pass the Torah that he knew on to. So here you have the Satan. I'm not sure exactly how the Satan gets around. Whether he like flies on a broomstick or he has like little jet propels in, inside of him someplace. But he seems to turn up at odd places and he talks to Akadosh Baruch and he said to Kodesh Baruch Hu, Avram Avinu is not such a great guy. Not such a great guy. Now this is a very similar to the argument that was made by the Satan against Eov. But Kodesh Baruch Hu said to the Satan, look at Eov. He's from, he does mitzvahs, he's he, uh, concerned for others, he has a wonderful family. So the Satan said, take away his money. Take away his children. Take away his family. Let's see how good he is then. And the book of Eov is premised on the assumption that the argument was accepted by heaven. And so, Eov lost his money. Eov lost his children. lost his family. He lost all of his, uh, his possessions. In order to prove to the world that a person can have a relationship with God that was not dependent 
on goodness. And the Satan, according to the Medrash, which Rashi quotes, says the same thing about Avram Avinu. So Avram Avinu, he's always, he's always got a lot of flocks. He's always got a lot of people working for him. He's always got a lot of, you know, he's got a, like all the credit cards. There's no problem. Let's see what happens if you take it, take that away from him. So God says to the Satan, listen, I have no doubts about Avram Avinu. I mean, Avram Avinu is definitely going to be full, but I'll tell you, even if, something you could never imagine, Satan, but even if I would take away his son, his devotion to God would not, uh, would not change. <coughs> so this Rashi explains to us why there was a Nisayon, why there was, because something had to be clarified. It was not a problem that in heaven. It was not that God had a problem about Avram Avinu. Who was Avram Avinu? Was he willing to be devoted? That was not the issue. That was not the issue. The issue was how do you get the people who are watching Avram Avinu to understand that? And that's the answer. The answer is Elohim Nisat Avraham. Well, you mean God has to test Abraham? Abraham? God doesn't know whatever there is to know? Question, answer. No, the Nisayot was for us, for the nations, for the world, for history, to understand that there is a level of devotion that we cannot perhaps grasp on our own. A level of devotion in which a person is willing to give up his own son in spite of the fact that his whole life was built around having a son that would carry on his, uh, his way and would be taught by him. So that's what HaKadosh Baruch was going to show the world. That's the first Teretz in Rashi. The second Teretz in Rashi, Yeshomim, right? Yeshomim means another Teretz, right? Why does Rashi bring another Teretz? Who knows? Who knows? But I think that, you know, there is this... Uh, the opinion of the Moscow uh, David, or David Fardu, wrote a uh, parish on Rashi. And in his parish on Rashi, the parish that he wrote, this David Fardu, who was a great Talmud Chochem and wrote a very significant parishim, he wrote a parish on the Tsefta and on the Mishnah. He was a very interesting man. He was a very interesting man. He was not of Ashkenazic origin. <laughs> he was interesting nonetheless. And he, uh, he, uh, he, his Rashi, his theory was that when Rashi gives two interpretations, when Rashi himself gives two interpretations, it's always because one of the two interpretations is lacking in some aspect. And it's made up by the other. And vice versa. That, you know, neither of them is perfect. Uh, this idea was adopted by Nechama Leibowitz when she taught Rashi, when she taught Rashi in, the, in those Gilyanot that she put out, uh, which I think have gone. I mean, I don't know if you can get them. Uh, the, the, the later incarnation of those Gilyanot is a little different than the original Gilyanot. It doesn't matter, but I think... But it's because both of these interpretations, the reason Rashi gives two interpretations, but both of them are equally wonderful. And that's uh, an existential possibility, even in literature. You know, you may think that there's right and there's wrong, 
But when you get more sophisticated, you understand that there could be more than one right. And that's what Rashi understood. That's what Rashi understood. He understood that when the Medrash collects all kinds of interpretations about the same verse, that's because there may be all kinds of interpretations of that verse which are correct. So Rashi says, There's another possibility. Imagine, not this time, not the Satan. It's not the, the Satan inside of me. It's not the skepticism that I have in my life all the time. But it's Ishmael. You know, Ishmael, who cares about him? I mean, I'm not, I have no connection to Ishmael. He says, but what did Ishmael say? Okay, Yishmael has this credit. I mean, he has a tremendous credit that he underwent circumcision at the age of 13. I guess in those days, it must have been a bit of a painful process. Today, not so much. Because the, uh, you know, it's usually done with some kind of, uh, whatever you call it, knockout gas. What do you call it? Huh? Anesthetic. That's right. It is a kind of anesthetic. So a lot of it's it's not so good afterwards, but at the time it's not uh, not particularly painful. So he says, but Yishmael, he must have been in great pain. He was thirteen years old when he was circumcised. That's you. That you know your your uh, uh, fear of God is entirely connected to that one event. One time you, you allowed yourself uh, to be in pain for God. If God had told me, if God Yitzchak is speaking, God told me, sacrifice yourself, I would not say no. I would agree. And you know that that's what the story of Akedat Yitzchak says. As has been pointed out, the, the phrase, the phrase of phrases, in Akedat Yitzchak is Vayilchu Shnehem Yachdav. Right, and Vayilchu Shnehem Yachdav means, and if you look at the story carefully, Avram Avinu does not tell Yitzchak ever what's going to happen. Doesn't tell him where they're going. I mean, okay, they have, they have these donkeys, and the donkeys have wood on them, and he has a ma'achelet, which is apparently a major league kind of machete, uh, and, uh, and they're going up on a hill, and so maybe Yitzchak figured it out, but Avram Avinu never told him where they were going or what they were going to do, and again and again, the Torah describes Yitzchak as Yitzchak had no problem listening to his father. Yitzchak was the sublime result of the educational effort of Avram Avinu. Yitzchak had no religious doubts. He had no religious doubts. He was the perfect representative of the teaching of Avram Avinu. Now you know that Avram Avinu was not universally successful. You may have heard of Lot. A story that is told in great length in the book of Breshit, which is essentially a story of the failure of Avram Avinu. Because he was not able to convince Lot to put his faith in God. Uh, of course, Lot was influenced. Achmasat al 
wrote practiced Hachnasat Orchim and the angels came, but but Lot was not Avram Avinu. He did not become the son that Avram Avinu yearned for. Only Yitzchak Yishmael goes without saying, and Yishmael uh, was involved in idolatry and and the worst things imaginable. But Yitzchak, so at the same moment, you can see like you build up literary tension. In the same moment, two things are happening. Avram Avinu is ending his career. Avram Avinu. His whole career depended on having a son who would follow in his footsteps. I don't mean he wasn't a philosopher. Philosophers, they, they're the philosophers, they're great philosophers, they write a book and then they go to sleep. It doesn't matter. You don't need a son if you're a great philosopher. But Havimavim needed a son. I mean, that was he, what he was there for. He wasn't there to discover God. He was there to pass the discovery on. So he had at the same time like, it, like the, the literary tension is overwhelming, right? End your career. It's over, finished. Right? Whatever you think you've succeeded in, it's going to be you're going to fail because yeah, because Yitzchak won't exist. On the other hand, Yitzchak at this time, just at this time, when he's going to be killed, he expresses absolute and complete devotion to the path of Avram Avinu. Not to Avram Avinu. But Avram Avinu said, God said, and Yitzchak said, let's go. That was the, that was the result. That it was educationally. I mean, as an educator, Avram Avinu is, is, is displayed to us as a great success. And on the other hand, God is going to make him into a colossal failure. So these are the two opinions in Rashi. Rashi says that on the one hand, on the one hand, it was the Satan. Satan we can translate into um, a general notion, a personal notion. We ourselves feel that way. Like, it's like, what was Avram Avinu? I mean, how was he better? How was he different? Let God come and talk to me and lead me and give me, you know, like credit cards and then then I'll be devoted to God ad hasof. (coughs) So we had to show, so God had to show us who Avravina really was. The second opportunity, the second side is to explain why Ishmael had to be driven out of his, uh, of the house of Al-Mavino in favor of Yitzchak because Yishmael didn't get it. He didn't understand. And since he didn't understand, he became um, an obstacle. He, he, he couldn't be together with Yitzchak. Yitzchak would not be able to develop properly. So we have this question. Now we understand kind of what's behind it. We get that from Rashi. And we want to know What's the Nisayon here? On the one hand, Avram Avinu, we expect Avram Avinu to do what God tells him. On the other hand, as you know, he didn't do it. He didn't do, at the end, he didn't do Akedat Yitzchak. He did not sacrifice his own, his own son. Now before we look at the, the Mephoshim that I brought here, if you turn the page and look at the second page, 
and what we should want. Right? We should also do that. That's what the, that's what the Navi said. And so the, the Navi says this is a terrible thing that people are doing. They're sacrificing their own children. Well, whatever it is to the Baal, let's say to the Baal or to the Moloch, I don't know. They're sacrificing their own children. And this is something I shall this pasuk is explained by Chazal in the following way, way. If you look at the Gemara, this quote of the Gemara, three lines at the bottom of the Katuchtif. Remember the pasuk? Yemiel, the pasuk that we just read. So the Gemara explains as follows. We know that the son of Mesha, Mesha was the king of Moab, was sacrificed. Mesha, he's a lunatic, right? What does he think? He thought that if he would sacrifice the, the son who was destined to be the next king of Moab, that he would remain king of Moab forever. And because there's no one to replace him, so then, like, he'll just, he liked the jobs. He killed his own son. That, the major says, is Hashem Lutzi end of The Lodibarti, Lodibarti, I never said it, that's a reference to Yiftach. What did Yiftach do? He said, remember Yiftach? He said, the first one that comes in through the door sacrificed them and his daughter came in and he did that he was also a bit of a nut even though he saved the Am Yisrael at a certain moment but you could be a savior and a nut at the same time I'm not uh, I hope that the Yiftach club does not uh, hear of this the third part of the Pasuk the Lodi Barak is the second part of the Pasuk that's Yiftach Vlo Alta Alibi which means that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the Gemara didn't mean it he never meant it and this is one of the interpretations that is popular but here's Yirmiyahu Yirmiyahu is standing before the people who are confused about something. And their confusion is that God wanted Avram Avinu to sacrifice his son. Okay, he didn't. Whatever that reason, however we explain that, but there's no doubt that God directed Avram Avinu to sacrifice his son. How can you say otherwise? There's nothing else to say. So now let's look at the spot of that. We'll look at the Meshach. Now we'll see if we can uh, if we can feel a little better about what's going on here. <coughs> oh, so you see the Svatamet on the first uh, on the first uh, page. Let's see. So the Svatimet says this. But Medrash, you know, the Svatimet has to grab onto something. 
basically on some kind of, like an interpretive hook, a hook that leads, you can't, the, you can't just sit down and say something. I mean, it's like very modern to say, like, I feel this, or I feel that, or maybe this happened, or maybe that happened. The Svatamet is, is, a, is a traditional commentary, which means that he has to connect to something. There's got to be some hook that he has with which he can express an idea. The idea and the hook are not exactly the same, but the idea just hanging around in the middle of the air would not be good. So he says there's a medrash. And the medrash says, Nisat Abraham, Gidola Achar Gidola, Kines Shel Sfina. That's what the Major says. In other words, we know that the Major says that there were ten Nisyonot that Abraham had. And that this was the last one. Akedat Yitzchak was the last of the ten Nisyonot. So Nisa'et Abraham doesn't just mean to test. But it has another meaning. It's like the, the flag on the boat. Right? You know, there's a, it's a mast and there's a flag. The flag goes up and down, can go up and down. So sometimes it's down, sometimes up, sometimes it goes up. This is like So what has this got to do with anything? What a, what a, you know, it's like a, it's like a mystery uh, statement. It's a mystery statement. So uh, the, the major says, Abraham Avinu Shalom Madrega Achar Madrega. So you understand what a nisayon is. A nisayon is not to find out something, but a nisayon is an opportunity. HaKadosh Bochu understood that if Avram Avinu would be given a Nisayon, he would grow as a result. And that's what a Nisayon is. It's not a test. It's not to find out what the level of, of Avram Avinu's devotion was. But it's rather because of his devotion. Because we, HaKadosh Bochu was certain of his devotion that he gave him a test. He said, more devotion. More because you can do it. Not because you can't do it. But it's an opportunity. This is called Mikoach Sometimes there's a potential. People have a potential, but they never have the opportunity to activate that potential. They don't do anything. Right? There's a potential. But a Nisayon is when you give the person the opportunity to activate the potential. So he's trying to understand. You see the Svatanet is trying to understand. So if it's an opportunity, if it's a way of getting to the higher level, so how come he didn't do it? Why did God stop him from doing it? So he says, he, he tries to explain, and he says that the last Nisayon was Bechinat Machshava Belvad, before. Now you know that we all have difficulty 
with machshava. We all have difficulty with thoughts. Uh, what do I mean? I mean, it's hard to make a real decision in your head. It's hard to say, I'll do it absolutely, certainly, finality. This is what the Rambam, the Rambam uh, uh, explains, you know, that, that the Rambam says that there's no mitzvah to do tshuva in this time. There's only a mitzvah to do the duty. The duty is confession. And why? Because the Rambam says, well, everybody's going to do tshuva. And well, well, what's the question? Well, you did a mitzvah to do tshuva. You did a mitzvah to shake a lulav. Because if there was no mitzvah to shake a lulav, you wouldn't shake it. But you don't need a mitzvah to do tshuva because anybody who's connected to the Torah, anybody who does mitzvahs, and realizes that he's transgressed, he slash she <coughs> has transgressed. So of course he's going to do tshuva. He's going to say, Oy this is terrible, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't mean it. I mean, that's what you say, right? Like a child says to his, his, uh, his parents when he gets caught, it was an accident, there was a mistake, so that's who we are. We are the children of, you know, standing before God, we're like children. So if God says, when we stand before God, we say, oh, we're caught. Uh, I made a mistake, I didn't mean it. that's the Rambam. But the Rambam says that the Torah knows that you're going to do tshuva. But the Torah wants you to do vidui, to make a confession. To make a confession. Why? Why do I make a confession? Sounds like something that Christians do. Which is not, doesn't mean necessarily it's a bad thing. But the reason that the Torah wants us to confess is because that clarifies things for us. Inside, there's always a turmoil. Inside, we say, I'm guilty. But, but maybe it's not so bad, because maybe I really meant to do something else. I want to do the right thing. I'm not a bad person. I mean, you know, it's like, like inside of us, there's always turmoil. And even though we want to do tshuva, we also want to justify ourselves. And want to say, well, you know, but the other person, he did that. And it's true, I talked Lashonara, but it was for a good purpose. It's true that I didn't uh, pay what I owed, but I thought that this was the right thing to do. He's stealing from other people. Like, inside of me, inside of me, it's hard to get. For most people, it's hard to get to an absolute position. But, but Dibur does not allow for that confusion. You can only say one thing at a time. You can't say two things. So that the Rambam says, that this is what the Torah says, that it's true that Shuva works on its own. And if you're on that level where everything inside of you is pure and unique and straightforward and you know who you are and you know what you want, so they're great, but we're not like that. So the Torah wants to help us out. And says, we do it. And you stand up, even on Yom Kippur, but it's every day. It's every day of the year. You say, we took ourselves seriously, which we don't. But if we took ourselves seriously, and we would say, you said it. All the people standing there. So that is a meaningful, a meaningful way of, of doing tshuva, of straightening yourself out, so to speak, of clarifying things. So, so obviously, the highest level, the highest level is when the will is overpowers 
any other thoughts that you have. When you don't need the vidui, or the, the, as the, the, the Yazar says, there's always dibur, I'm sorry, machshava, dibur, maase. Right? That if you think it, and then you say it, and then you do it, so you did it. Then that's what you really are. I mean, you're really there. But you just think it, for most people, thinking is an exercise. I can think this, you can think that. So that the highest level of, of, of the human capacity to do anything is when the thinking is like the mass, is like the doing. Right? It's, it's the same. We always say, we always say that for God, there's no difference between machshava and maaseh. It's all the same. There's no reflection in God. There's no thinking it over. For us, it's that way. So look what the Sfas Emes wants to say about the test of Avram Avinu. If you understand it the way I understand it, he says, So the last Nisayon, the highest level of Nisayon, was HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Avram Avinu, Ha'aleyu sham le'olah. And did Avram Avinu do it or not? According to the Svat Emet? He did. Ha'aleyu sham le'olah. Because what is, what on that level, on that level of, of, uh, uh, sensitivity that Avram Avinu had. He was, his thought was without any re, uh, restriction or reflection that he was going to do it. And so what difference does it make if he did it or not? It doesn't make any difference. It, 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 you have to understand that for, in the language of the Svasemes, Avram Avinu sacrificed his son. Because he, it doesn't matter if he sacrificed his son. It only matters that in the machshava of Avraham Avinu, in his thought, he was absolutely certain that he would do it, and he was totally at peace with the idea of sacrificing his son. So that Svat Emet is trying to answer, like he's trying to explain what the story is. What is the test? What is the test? The test is about getting higher and higher and higher in your spiritual development. And what is the specific test? Machshava is all there is. Avraham Avinu became a person in which his machshava was absolutely reliable. And therefore he actually did it. Below the time the Polar Mala may hit Lapshutama said. This is every person has to do as much as he can in the Lamaaseh. But, but you know that, that in theory, only in Machshavah can you be absolutely at one with the directive. Only in your thinking. And that was Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was absolutely committed to the directive that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him. And since there was no doubt, Vazeh, Nekayeh Mitzon, Milshon Mitzah, V'tlavut, Agam, Shenei Cholosikol, Kach Mikol, Alapah, Mikol, Alapah. 
So, this vast MS, this vast MS has this idea, he has this idea that the test of Avram Avinu was not whether he would sacrifice his son, but the test of Avram Avinu was whether he could be uh, accept fully, completely, with total sincerity and honesty, the directive from God to sacrifice his son. Once that was accepted, from the point of view of heaven, what difference did it make if he sacrificed his son or he didn't sacrifice him? It wasn't like, like it would be a greater commitment on the part of Avram, on the part of Avram Avinu. So we now understand, according to the Svatimet, what the story was. What's going on? Like, like somebody wants to know, is there a limit? Is there a limit to the passion of, of Avram Avinu, to the devotion of Avram Avinu? And he said, no, there's no limit. Whatever God says, that's what Avram Avinu wants to do. So that's what the pshat is in the posset. Right? Yimiel Hanavi said, Yimiel Hanavi said, Lo alta alibi. What do you mean, lo al be that God never thought of it? Rashi said, the Gemara says, Zay Yitzchak ben Avraham. What do you mean, lo al be? God told Avraham to sacrifice his son. No. God wanted to know whether Avraham was willing to sacrifice his son, really and truly willing, because from the point of view of God, or from Avraham ain't There's no difference between Avram Avinu sacrificing his son or not sacrificing his son. Okay? That's the Svatamet. Let's see if we can get into the Meshiloch a little bit. The Meshiloch says, I will give me Sadavrat. In Yanni Sayon Shela Akedar, Hayagadol Haemuna Shayala Avram Avinu Bashem Yitbarach. It's a question of Emuna. Right? The Meshiloch is very uh, enticed. By the idea, as were other Hasidic uh, Rebbeim, that, that devotion to God is sort of everything. Ki Even though God told him explicitly that his progeny were dependent on Yitzchak, in other words, this was God contradicting God, because God said. Yitzchak would be the father of the great nation. And then God said, kill Yitzchak. He says, Further, the Torah says that the covenant will be established with Yitzchak. Again, there are certain things, I and mean, this is what the Meshulogs can get to in a minute, but I'll try to explain it. There are certain things that, that we don't have the capacity to deal with. One of them is contradictory information. We have no way of dealing, we have no way of processing pieces of information that contradict each other. They can't both live together. So what we do is, we decide arbitrarily sometimes that one piece of information is more valuable or more reliable than the other. But in this case, Avram Avinu knew that both pieces of information were equally reliable. And he was asked, 
he was asked to outdo or to become the inheritor of understanding that understanding had been rejected by Adam Harishan. Remember Adam Harishan? Now you remember the other Harishan and his uh, wonderful wife ate forbidden fruit. I saw that someplace. Forbidden fruit. And other Marishan, I said, how did they do that? So the snake came and said, eat. So they ate. I mean, that's not even interesting. I mean, so Chazal says, he commands on Hedrin that says, that, uh, that the snake created confusion about what God had said. That the snake created confusion about what God is a household. The snake said, you know, gave a push to Chava and he said, well, if uh, God had said that, then you should be dead. Because it was probably true that there was a, that the prohibition was even to touch the tree of the, with the fruit that you're not allowed to eat. <coughs> so, other Marisha, other Marisha said, since there can't be contradictory truths, since it can't be that God said it and that God didn't say it, it can't be that God said stay away from the tree, but when we touch the tree, nothing happens. Right? Since those contradictory truths cannot be, so I have to make a decision. Which is more true? So I decided, I decided that probably God didn't tell me to stay away from the fruit. That was a mistake. I misheard. I, 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 I was not able to understand properly. And they ate the fruit of the tree which was forbidden. They were not able, Adam Arisha was not able to live with contradictory truths from God. The Meshiloach said that the test of Avram Avinu, the test of Avram Avinu was, can you do what God tells you to do in spite of the fact that it seems to contradict something else that God told you? That was the test. And the Meshiloach says that that was the test that Avram Of course, there was a purpose to the test. The purpose was that we have to understand as well that contradictory truths could exist. On the second line, So he believed that Yitzchak would be the beginning of the new world, even though he was going to kill him. But he believed in that sincerely. <coughs> this is the Meshiloach. You have to understand that Emunah, that faith includes imponderables. It's not true that you can solve every problem. It's not true that every conundrum has a kind of a solution. No. And that's why in the Pesach it doesn't say Hashem, Yudke Vavke, tested Avraham. But it says, Hanukim Nisa, Hanushayayla Bevabes Beklaria Dulonahara. And everybody knows that Elokim is a kind of a lower level of, uh, of relationship. And Yud Kevavke is a higher level. But, but when God told Avram Avinu to sacrifice his son, Elokim Nisa, Avram didn't understand. He didn't really get it. But he knew that he had to do it. 
ועל זה נאמר לאלוקים לשון תקופות, שטרנד, ועל זה לא נקרא ניסיון על שם יצחק. And then, says, and that's why it says, it doesn't say any place that they came out Yitzchak was the Nisayon of Yitzchak. You could say, look, Yitzchak was also a Nisayon. He also, he was getting sacrificed by Yehushnei Miachdav. Ki Yitzchak ha'amid l'Avraham. Yitzchak believed Avraham ki me'ashem hu. Because Yitzchak only had this one piece of information from Avraham Avinu. And that was God said, let's go. So he went. He, he wasn't living with that, with that difficulty, with the puzzle, with the riddle. It wasn't such a great test for Abraham, for Yitzchak. Because Yitzchak did exactly what God said that he should do. Avraham Avinu, he was living with those contradictory statements. Israq Lavraham Hayani Sayon because he couldn't understand. He says, if Avinu had a certain like you know, felt that this was his son and not that this was a, a command from God, he says then he would have had mercy on him to be a Hashem Haya. שלא ישחטו, והניסיון היה רק למראה עיני אברהם. And this ניסיון was only for Abraham, it's only, he's the only one who had the ניסיון. Because for Yitzchak was not a ניסיון because he was doing what God wanted him to do. Well, that's easy. But Avraham somehow had to navigate his thoughts that, you know, on the one hand, don't do it, on the other hand, yes, do it. <coughs> That's why Avraham Avinu said about himself, I am dirt and dust. Right? The Afar and the Afar. Afar more al ma'aseh she'eno mivoreret v'tzrichale tikkun he says, represents a lack of clarity. You take dirt, you put it in water, it's always unclear. The that's the, what's left over after a fire, ash. So here's Avram Avinu, he says, I'm standing between lack of clarity and great tragedy. And I had to follow the the directives of Hakadosh Baruch. So if you if you uh, had to summarize, if you had to summarize the Meishilach, I think what the Meishilach is saying is this: that the test of Avram Avinu, the test of Avram Avinu is not, in certain cases, not to try to understand and to outsmart the directive. To say, well, God said this, but maybe he meant that. If all there's a contradiction between A and B, a person we cannot assume because then there wouldn't couldn't be a Torah. You can't assume that we can have no proper level of understanding of of Torah uh, because it comes from God. And Avraham Avinu passed that test. So Avraham Avinu was the creator, according to the according to the. Um, 
according to the Meshi law. Avram Vina was, was the creator of Am Yisrael in the sense that Am Yisrael accepted the Torah. By accepting the Torah, they had to accept the idea that there was a certain amount of clarity that was possible. It was possible to understand what God wanted. And that's what Adam Arishan was not prepared to understand. <coughs> Adam Arishan said, maybe we don't understand. Maybe God said this, but he meant that. Maybe we have other evidence that changes what God said. But they ought to accept the Torah. I mean, it's very easy to say that. It's very easy to say, gee, we don't understand, we don't know, so we'll float along, we'll become Quakers. It's easy to say that. But Avram Avrida said, no, I understand perfectly what God said. I understand what the directive is. I don't understand how it's going to work out. I don't understand, but that's what faith is. Faith is the ability, the ability to deal with things that you don't understand in terms of how they fit together with other things. But you know very clearly that that's what God demands of us. So, I'd rush Hashanah on Rosh Hashanah, which uh, they say is a time of, uh, of new beginnings. But as I said someplace else, I think really Rosh Hashanah is a time of old endings. Uh, like, you know, everybody has to come to grips with who they are. I mean, this is not such a uh, unreasonable position, you know, people today I uh, know about uh, those days. There's such a thing as psychology. And they should think about you know, who they are when they come to some sort of grips with who they are. But maybe they can think about having a new beginning and then starting over again. So the issue that Akedah Yitzchak places us face to face with is our own capacity to have faith. And faith means, faith means that you don't always understand. You're not always able to resolve uh, the divine uh, uh, intention. You're not always able to recreate God and Torah in your own image. And sometimes, sometimes things are a little, uh, a little difficult. And so Akedas Yitzhak says that that's how we were born. We were born as the children of Avram Avinu. And Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu gave us two charges. One from the Swasemes and one from the Meshiloch. From the Meshiloch, Avram Avinu told us that faith, emunah, is not always mathematical. It doesn't always fit together with other things that we know about. And the Swasemes, I mean, and the Swasemes told us that Adam Avinu gave us an inheritance, <coughs> which was that there's a notion of purity of the mind, that a person can get to the level, can get to the level where he's so devoted to the idea, where it's so clear to him, it's so clear to him what it is he has to do, that there's no difference between machshava and maaseh. So when we uh, look into things, everybody looks into their own heart, so to speak. You know, uh, Rosh Hashanah, plenty of boring uh, moments in the day. You take advantage of them, of the boring moments, I mean. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, everybody today, there's a competition in the Jewish world, uh, who can finish davening later. That's a, a certain kind of competition. 
You know, once they told me that the, uh, you know, the teachers, they always want to know the latest statistics on the, how, how much time a person can, can pay attention. Now, what's the attention span of, of most people? So I don't know the answer to that question, but I know that the studies that try to like, make a case for one time or another are pushing down below double digits. You know, it's like to get people to pay attention for 10 minutes is a, remarkable, is a remarkable achievement. So when you're a teacher, they tell you, well, so you think you make a lesson plan. And the lesson plan is, well, I'm going to teach uh, something about Akedah Yitzchak, and I'll teach Rashid, I'll teach the Meishilach, I'll teach Rashid. See, that's a lesson plan. He says, no, 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 that's not a lesson plan. The lesson plan is, what are you going to do every 10 minutes to get everybody's attention back? That's called a lesson plan. So you have to have 10 minutes a joke, 10 minutes a story, 10 minutes like everybody walking around the room. That's called a, that's called a, a lesson plan. So everybody... Uh, uh, Everybody is looking for something to do, I think, in shul, that could enhance their feeling that they're in the right place. Especially on the first day of Roshavah, don't blow shofar. Everybody's convinced that blowing shofar is going to change the world somehow, but <coughs> be that as it may, I think that there's plenty of time on Rosh Hashanah to give serious thought and like, look at look at Akedas. It's, it's, it's a good starting out point. We're thinking about you know how successful are we as religious personalities? Like, what is it we're doing with ourselves? Or what does it mean to stand before God? And what did Avraham Avinu come to teach us? I wish you all Aksiva, chasima, Toiva, all the best. So we share next Thursday night. Next Thursday night, right? It's not a Jewish holiday. Uh, <laughs> We have a Marif, we have a Marif. Is there a million people who didn't have a Marif?